0: chapter 8. While you're doing that, if any of the children, our children will sing for us on Father's Day, and so they're going to go and be dismissed at this time for practice. They'll be back shortly. If they're in the preschool childcare area, they'll be taken back to that location. Luke chapter 8. I want to begin reading the same reading we did last week, actually, in verse 4 and read down through verse 15. This is God's word for us this morning, and here's what God says. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked some fell into good soil, and grew, and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast with an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. may be seated. Father, thank you for your word, for there is no word like your word. Every word of yours is true. And Father, your true words are living words. They are alive. And so we pray that even as we consider what we've just read, that your spirit would be in our midst particularly at work in each of our hearts, that we would hear and receive these words and that we would live in light of them and that your word by your spirit would transform us. So help us. May you be glorified by how we participate in your preached word. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll start just in verse 11, just by way of quick review. It says in verse 11, after after he has told the, the, the parable, the story, and now he's going to, in verse 11 and following, explain to his disciples the story that he told the larger crowd. He said, now this, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. As it turns out, the story of the sower sowing seeds into various soils was not about a a literal sower and a literal seed and literal soils. This wasn't a lesson on how to plant a garden this spring. Turns out that this is a parable. This is a story that Jesus told to make a comparison. And that's really. As we will look at them this summer, the parables, the parables are comparison stories or, or comparison statements. Sometimes they're, it's not a whole, whole story, it's just a, a particular thing that is analogous to, it's compared to, particularly something about God and His kingdom, the grace and glory of the kingdom of God. See, he would say in verse 10, um, uh, to you, it is given to know the the secrets of the kingdom of God, and, and that's really what most of the parables orient us to. They they, they, they by way of comparison, taking an, taking an an earthly story or taking an ordinary thing, that those stories and things become comparisons to something of a of a spiritual truth, something that has a profound Uh, heavenly meaning, particularly as it pertains to God and his kingdom. So most of the parables that we will consider will teach us something about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is, is the reign of God, where it is particularly expressly experienced and it is the disciples of Jesus in being, ex, having this story explained to them are learning something about the kingdom of God that couldn't be figured out by human reason, by sheer human native brain power. This was something that was being revealed to them by the Lord himself. Now, the disciples were being given the privilege of understanding the point of these parables. Here in this passage, understanding the point of the parable of the well, whatever you want to call this parable. If you see most of our Bibles that have a little annotated uh, uh, captions above the start of this story, they'll call it the parable of the sower. Uh, actually, I don't know, it's not worth fighting over, but. Uh, uh, that probably in this the way this story is laid out, the sower is the is the most um, infrequently mentioned aspect of this story. Uh, it, so you, I, I would prefer that we maybe call it the parable of the of the seed. Or, for he says in verse eleven, now the parable is this: the seed is the word of God. Or perhaps even better, I I think since the the bulk of its time is not really discussing the sower or even the seed per se, but uh, what is really uh, 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 being compared and contrasted here is uh, where that seed lands, uh, it, the, the four kinds of soils. So I don't know if I was chief potentate of the world, I would call this the parable of the soils. But no one's even made that recommendation for me to be chief potentate of the world yet. So, but I'm just warning you, if I get elected to deposition, that's the first thing I'm going to do. So. Now so he begins by then just describing the the sower sows the seed the the word of god and i think in particular could even press that further the sower sows the the seed of the gospel the message about jesus the message that jesus christ brought Himself and proclaimed concerning himself, that then was passed on to the, the disciples, passed on to the apostles, passed on and entrusted to the church. We exist to proclaim the, the the gospel of the kingdom of God. And yet, what we're learning here is that as the seed of the gospel is proclaimed and and sown into um, uh, Soils. We're not really talking about soils, but we'll get to that in a second. But he first mentions four types of soil that that the seed is sown into. Verse five is the first soil. Some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. In other words, it never was really planted right, and it was just it just laid on the top of the hard path, and the birds came and snatched it up. And so it didn't provide a plant, but it sure provided some nice bird food. In verse 6, it tells us that some of the seed fell on the rocks. I think he probably means rocky soil, soil that, it, that the soil is pretty shallow, uh, that undergirding, and yet even throughout that shallow soil is a, is a, is a bedrock. And so some fell on the rock, and, and it quickly sprung up, but it wasn't able to root itself in anything of great sub- substance, And so when the heat comes, when the, when the difficulties come, it, 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 it withers away because it didn't have enough moisture. I hope you're not cutting your grass too short this time of the year. But that, that, that's a commercial for lawns. But uh, anyway, because you're not giving it... Uh, the. Anyway, I digress, so... I don't want you to leave here saying I think Joe gave us a talk about grass cutting today. So, um, w- which would be a lesson in missing the the, the point. So, uh, but I, I mean, I'm not, am I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to. Point out that I probably have a better yard than you do, but that's okay. But I, I let my grass grow high. But th- then, number s- verse seven, a third kind, some fell among the thorns, the, th- the thorny soil. In other words, as the seed was planted, there was also some, if you would, pre-existing plants, weeds, thorns uh, that were also in that soil. And so, as the as the seed begins to grow up, so did the 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 thorns, uh, and and so the thorns grew up with it. And and what it did is it choked out the seed. And then finally, in verse 8, is the fourth kind of soil. Um, some f- seed fell into the good soil, and it grew, and it yielded a hundredfold. In other words, and it, I think the, the point of that last statement, I know Matthew says 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, but but Luke just focuses upon the, the, the last increment, the, the hundredfold. If, if, if I get this right, it's my understanding that in that day and age, a uh, a plant that would yield tenfold, would that would be a pretty good yield. That would be a very good harvest. And so really what he's doing is he's putting this thing over the top in quite dramatic fashion. It would be like, my yard, the grass in my yard, grew not just one inch this week, but 10 inches this week. 10 times, the, that would you say, no, you're, there you go again. This is like a fish story. Uh, it, it, this would be over the top. This would be astonishing. This would be miraculous. Wouldn't be ordinary. It, wouldn't, it wasn't an ordinary yield. Now, at this point, the crowds will walk away. And uh, if we were to stop them on their way out, out of town, we'd say, hey, so what, what did you learn from Jesus today? And they'd say, I think he gave us a talk on, uh, on growing a yard or a, a, you know, growing grass or, or something about a spring, planting for a spring garden. I, I, I guess Jesus is a horticulturalist. And that would be the sum and substance of what they would walk away with. That, that would, they they would. It's it's not as though they didn't hear anything that Jesus said. It's just that they didn't really hear the significant, true, eternal, lasting point of what Jesus said. They missed the point of his sermon. So, when he ex- begins to explain these things in verses 9 and 10, the disciples are, well, again, as we, as we pointed out last week, the disciples ask him, What does this parable mean? Mark frames it as, What do your parables mean? Matthew frames it as, Why do you even talk to us in parables? I mean, that, At this point, they are as relatively clueless as the crowd, and yet what they've got going for them is they hung around and showed that they wanted to know. They wanted to learn. They desired to be taught by Jesus. They they didn't stop. They didn't let up until they had really been impacted by the significance of what he just talked about concerning a sower and some seeds and some soils, and so they press in. And as they press in, we are oriented to understand that these four types of soils really refer to four different types of hearts. Now, in the broadest sense, I would say there's two types of hearts. And he alludes to that in so many ways And when he says there in verse 10 of chapter 8, to you, speaking to his disciples, not to them, the guys who just left, but to you, it has been given the secrets of the kingdom of God. Now, uh, What's interesting is the way that uh, uh, Mark's gospel adds to this. So Luke says to you, meaning to his disciples, it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. Uh, but then he pivots, and he says, but, but to them I speak in parables, because in seeing they'll never see, and in hearing they'll never understand. What Mark adds to that is, to you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, but to the outsiders I speak in parables, so that in seeing they don't see, and in he- hearing they don't understand. So the two kinds of broad-based seeds are, if you would, insiders and outsiders. The disciples are the insiders. They represent, if you would, the the fourth and final kind of soil. And the outsiders um, are just lumped into one of the other three previous kinds of soils because they have one or another kind of heart posture or heart condition. You see, there's a hearing and there's a hearing and the difference between hearing and hearing is the posture and condition of one's heart either one's heart is is engaged in what Jesus would teach through his word or the heart is not engaged in what Jesus would be teaching concerning his word. The heart posture reflects the the reality of the presence of God's kingdom, or the heart posture reflects uh, the absence of the presence of God's kingdom. Disciples press in. They want to know. They by their pressing in and staying around and wanting to know, they show that they don't have none of the first three types of hearts. First, I would suggest to you, as he begins to explain the parable in verse 12, and, uh, where he says, and Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God, the ones along the path are those who have heard, and yet the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. They have, if you would, a dull or disinterested heart. From the get-go, some people are not interested in the things of God whatsoever. They don't have a, any sort of immediate Inclination toward the word, the moment they hear the word, they shut down. They have a disinterested heart. They have a heart that is dull of hearing. They do do not eagerly receive God's word. They are disinterested in it. They have a hardness of heart. But there's another kind of heart that's mentioned here. It's not a disinterested heart. It is a distracted heart. These people have an initial positive response to hearing things about Jesus. Oh, I'll take Jesus. Sign me up. In fact, I'll take two. They have an initial inclination, an emotional, if you would, response to Jesus. They haven't maybe counted the cost to following him. In fact, as it spells it out for us in verse 13. And the ones on the rock, the rocky soil, are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, they fall away. Their heart gets distracted by the sufferings and the adversities, the trials of life. They're like the, the, the character uh, pliable in the story Pilgrim's Progress. As long as Christian is telling him about the glories of heaven, he's walking along the road with Christian. But the moment that he comes to the slough of despond and he falls in and it becomes hard and difficult and afflictive, uh, he's like, you didn't tell me about this. I'm, I'm turning around and going home. And he doesn't continue on the journey. He is interested in Jesus as long as it is a pleasant road. He is he's inclined to, to, to name the name of Jesus as long as it is a comfortable path. And so that initial positive response to the message about Jesus becomes clarified as challenges and afflictions and difficulties set in. Their heart becomes distracted away from God and the things of God. Their heart becomes overrun by anger at God and bitterness at God because of the difficulties of life pressing in. There's no persevering to continue with God's word. And in verse 14, there's another kind of heart mentioned here. And it says, And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked out by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. In their case, what clarifies the posture of their heart is not the testing of afflictions, uh, but the abundance of stuff. Who needs Jesus when I got all these things? My heart's happy with all of this stuff. I I don't need anything but this stuff. They have a divided heart. They would claim some sort of loyalty or allegiance to Jesus partially, up to a point. But there are, there are competing loyalties and there are competing loves. There's, they're not singularly focused upon Jesus above all else. There's not a primacy to cultivate the preciousness of relationship with Jesus through cultivating the, a nearness to the words of God. So there is a disinterested heart that never believes from the get-go. There is a distracted heart heart that temporarily believes. Let me just press into that a moment here. The kind of belief that puts us into right relationship with God is not a belief that is temporary. If you can believe for a season and stop believing, I would suggest to you, that you genuinely didn't believe in the first place. The third kind of soil, divided heart, really goes to the heart of what we love more than anything else. Do we love our stuff? Do we love our status? Do we love our clout? Do we love ourselves? Or are we seeking to cultivate a love for Jesus that is primary, that rises above all of those other competing loves and loyalties? And then in verse 15, he mentions the fourth soil. This is the soil that I would suggest to you that the disciples, or at least the disciples as a whole had, I think there's at least one disciple who probably doesn't have this heart posture. Uh, But the disciples, as a group, as a whole, have this heart. And it says, And as for uh, that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast with an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. There's an eagerness, unlike the first soil. There's an eagerness. They hear the word, they want to hear the word. There's a perseverance, unlike the second soil. They hold fast to the word. They don't just believe for a season, and then when it gets difficult, stop believing. But God enables them to persevere through even the trials and afflictions of life. And then there is a a bearing fruit with patience. There's there's a, a primacy uh, to, to, the, to receiving the word and, and letting it have its full effect uh, in the heart and soul and life. So that, going back to what he said about the good soil uh, in the story itself, back in verse 8, uh, it yields a, a hundredfold. In other words, the powerful transformational presence of the kingdom in our lives, which in this stage in the development of God's kingdom, the, st- the kingdom of God resides in the hearts and lives of God's children by the indwelling presence of the Spirit. And so when, the, when those whose hearts are indwelt by the Spirit of God, then, then when they, they, they want to receive the Word, they want to persevere in receiving the Word, they want to activate and live in light of and bear fruit in light of the Word, they demonstrate that the kingdom of God is at work in their hearts. You see, because only the Spirit of God can incline us to eagerly receive the message of Christ in the first place. If you're here this morning and you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, now, at some point, you actively made a choice to trust in Jesus and to follow him. But there's a whole lot going on behind the scenes that a lot of us don't really perhaps even grasp or understand. And how is it that you came to that point How is it that we were brought to that point where we saw our need for Jesus and we eagerly received the word about Jesus and believed that word and trusted in Jesus? Only the Spirit of God can do that to a heart, that we would want to eagerly receive the word of God. There's an important passage that I think helps us to understand this, that Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. He says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Well, how do you know that? How do you know you're loved by God and chosen by God? He explains it. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. That's why when any of us trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't gather around for a moment of self-congratulations. We gather up together and we give praise to God that, that that this saving message of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is something that we eagerly embrace and receive. We give thanks to God for that because it is God's spirit that has enabled us to eagerly receive that message. Concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. See, it is the Spirit's work in us. That as the word goes forth, as as we explain to other people, as other people have explained to us who Jesus is and what he has done, then the real game changer, if, if you would, is the presence of the Spirit. That as the message of the gospel is being proclaimed or explained, that when the Spirit gets in the middle of that, when the Spirit crawls inside the hearts and souls of of people like us and, and changes our hearts so that we go from a disinterested heart to a heart that eagerly wants to receive and profess the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's that same presence of the Spirit who not only makes enables us to believe initially, but it's the Spirit of God who who enables us, who helps us to believe continually, ongoingly. How will any of us ever get home when we navigate life through all of its adversity and all of its trials and all of its afflictions and all of its difficulties? It's enough to put any of us on the sidelines of walking with Jesus. How will we get home Our God gets every one of his sons and daughters home and he does that by placing the spirit of God in us. The same spirit that enabled us to initially eagerly receive the word of God is the same spirit of God that enables us to persevere and continue to ongoingly believe in Jesus. Even when we're thinking about dropping out because of the difficulties and the confusions and the afflictions, there's something inside of us, the spirit of God that that enables us, that prompts us, that that motivates us to continue to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only does the Spirit of God enable us to initially receive and to ongoingly persevere, but the Spirit of God is that which enables us to prioritize the competing demands and loves and loyalties uh, that try to hijack our Christian journey the Spirit of God that enables us to, to love well, to love the right things, and to begin to, 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 to disdain that which is not honoring and pleasing to God. The only way that you and I will get home with a singularly devoted heart is that the Spirit of God inside the people of God enables us to, to reorder our loves, to reorder the, the priorities and uh, the, 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 the loyalties and loves of, of, our, of our lives. That's the Spirit's working in our lives. And it's only the Spirit of God in our lives that as we receive the Word of God, We are compelled to obey and to put the Word of God to work in our hearts and lives. It's only the Spirit of God that enables us to bear fruit. That's why we call it the fruit of the Spirit. It's it's evidence that He is residing in us, that there is an expression, there's an element of God's kingdom present with us, and that element... The presence of the indwelling Spirit of God and the things we hear about Jesus, the, 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 the turning and trusting in Jesus and walking with Jesus and trying to love Jesus above everything else and even bearing fruit to the glory of Jesus is evidence that the kingdom is alive in us because the Spirit is indwelling us. You see, only the Holy Spirit can break up the hard-packed-down heart and soften it. Only the Holy Spirit can plant the Word of God deeply in our hearts to sustain us in our testings and afflictions. Only the Holy Spirit uh, can strengthen us to not be given over to the love of this world and and other competing loves and loyalties. Only the Spirit of God can truly change our hearts so that our soil, the soil of our hearts, becomes good soil. Soil that hears the word. Soil that holds fast to the word uh, with a good and honest heart and soil that bears fruit with patience. This is something of the secret or the mystery of the kingdom of God. You and I don't advance the kingdom of God. You and I don't build the kingdom of God. You and I don't expand the kingdom of God, although those are common ways that Christians in North America like to talk about the kingdom of God, just that that's none of the ways that the Bible actually talks about the kingdom of God. When the Bible talks about the kingdom of God, it calls upon the church to not advance, build, or expand the kingdom. It calls us to proclaim the kingdom. Because the power of the kingdom is inherent in the kingdom itself. The kingdom does not need little helpers to sustain it and to to make it work, to expand it, to grow it, to build it. Christ, our king, calls his people to proclaim the kingdom, not build it expand it, or advance it. And yet, when we do what we're supposed to do, when we proclaim the kingdom, guess what the king does with that seed, with that message? When his church proclaims the kingdom and proclaims the kingdom of Christ, then God himself, by his spirit, takes that message and advances his kingdom and builds his kingdom and expands his kingdom. But that's That's the part that God does. He does that work. We are to do the work of proclaiming the kingdom. You see, the kingdom of God is operational today. It is is not operational in a spectacular or a sensational kind of way. Uh, The kingdom of God is is not operational in a media branding or in a fame-creating phenomenon. No, the kingdom of God is quietly at work in hearts, changing lives from the inside out. The kingdom of God is is advancing, but it's advancing as the church proclaims the message of the king. But you're here this morning and you don't belong to the king. You don't belong to the church. Then your first task is, Not to proclaim the kingdom, but your first task is to do something else with the kingdom that the scripture calls us to do. You are to receive the kingdom. You are to enter the kingdom. How do you do that? You enter the kingdom by way of the king. The king has established his kingdom. And he has established his kingdom. This is not the way we would draw it up if we were going to build, advance, or um, expand a kingdom. But our king is building, advancing, and expanding his kingdom by what he did on the cross when he laid down his life. He's the only king for all time who ruled from a cross. For at that cross, his life was not taken from him. He laid down his life. And thereby laying down his life, he conquered. He conquered by substituting himself for those who would become the subjects, the citizens, the sons and daughters of his kingdom. He substituted himself by taking upon himself our sins, the sins of any and all who would trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then bearing up under the curse, the condemnation, the the wrath, the judgment of our sins, and paying that debt, paying that price, satisfying divine justice, removing the curse and the condemnation from any and all who would even this morning eagerly receive the Lord Jesus Christ. The king is building his kingdom based upon what he did on the cross 2,000 years ago. And he's doing that through people like you and I, that once we receive the king and enter that kingdom, then we become those who have been given the message to proclaim the kingdom, the king of the kingdom, the conquering king that, who created a kingdom by laying down his life. Let him who has ears hear. Father, thank you for your word, for there is no word like your word. We would pray that even as we've looked at these soils, these kinds of hearts, that Father, that we would look to you For only you can create a good heart. And we pray, Father, that each of us could give evidence of a good heart this morning. Because we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ above all else. And we continue to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we singularly trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, by your Spirit, bear fruit that we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, we pray, in Christ's name.